And you may be seated. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to two openings of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and Romans chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter five will begin in verse 17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, notice that phrase in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Different translations um, translate this in different ways. New creation in some translations. One translation has a new species of being. I like that from the standpoint that it shows us that something changed through the resurrection of Jesus something that's never been known before. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the the ministry of reconciliation. The word reconciliation there means exchange. It means something was swapped out for something else. Now, he's going to describe what that is in a couple of verses. But when it talks about all things being of God, who has reconciled us to himself, that means that God, at the new birth, when God takes out the old stony heart, the unbelieving heart, the spiritually dead uh, spirit that we are of, and replaces it with a, a new spirit, holy and righteous before him, and then he puts his spirit on the inside of us, that creates something that the world had never seen before. That new birth experience, I think, well, oftentimes we take for granted. But it's such a miraculous thing. Because God, who is just, what that means is he has to do things legally to satisfy his own justice, not to satisfy you or me or the devil or anybody else. But to satisfy his own justice, that means that God made a legal way For your spiritual death to be replaced or exchanged with eternal life and righteousness. And all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We can tell others about the exchange. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world into himself. Not imputing the trespasses unto them and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he, God, has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now turn with me to Romans chapter 5. I want to talk to you about being identified in Christ. And it's a, um, it's a difficult subject because we have in the church world and our backgrounds and our teachings and whatever we've been exposed to in the past, the church is not unified in what it thinks sin is. You may think that I'm about to talk about one sin or another sin, but most of the church world the point I'm trying to make is that most of the church world thinks sin is behavior. And it's not. Behavior, wrong behavior, 
is the byproduct of sin. But the church has made your own behavior. And so as a result, many of us have gone through our lives trying to straighten out our behavior. But if we don't know who we are in Christ, if we don't know what happened because that brought us into Christ, you'll never have the power to fix behavior. Even though you're saved, even though you may be filled with the Holy Ghost, you'll never find the power to correct wrong behavior. But very little of what the Bible talks about regarding sin is about behavior. Very little. I'm not going to say it's not there because it is. But wrong behavior really doesn't show up too much on God's radar. He's concerned about who you and I are inside. And if you can understand who we've been made to be in Christ inside, that'll fix a lot of the wrong behavior without too much fuss or muss. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, Paul said, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The book of Romans is interesting to me because Paul identifies specifically that he'd never seen them. He, he's not there. He'd never been there. He's not the one that started the churches, the house churches, uh, or any, had any type of ministry in Rome whatsoever. Apparently, the churches that existed in Rome were established and started by people that were influenced by Paul in some other town or some other city. And he mentions a couple of people in specific, uh, specifically that are pastors there and that are doing works there. And we know that he has a relationship with them as referred to in the book of Acts in other towns and other cities. So Paul, never having been there, seems to tell the Romans or give the Romans um, a more complete account of the teaching that I guess he did everywhere else when he was establishing churches. He talks about the doctrine of two men. He talks about the doctrine of being in Christ more to the Romans than anybody else. Well, now, why would he do that? I think it's because he's trying to make sure that whoever started, these, started and established these churches in Rome, in and around Rome, are getting the same benefit of the teaching that he would have done if he had been there to start it himself. And here's a concept that he introduces that we really don't find too much in others of his letters. There may be a, re a reference here and there, but he expands on this concept of God's two men to the Romans like nobody else. Wherefore, as by one man, talking about Adam, sin entered the world. Again, folks, when you see the word sin... Don't think wrong behavior. God's not concerned about wrong behavior. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. And so, sin, uh, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Certainly it's true that all have sinned, as the last phrase of Romans 5.12 says. But he's not talking about your personal sins or mine. He's not talking about the wrongdoing of individuals. He's talking about one thing, one event, one occurrence in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell. When it says sin entered the world by one man, by Adam, through his choice. Sin entered the world. This sin is the origin of everything that is contrary to God. This thing called sin brought about spiritual death and certainly it brought about wrong behavior. But the sin itself is not wrong behavior. 
It's the origin of everything that's evil, which is personified in Satan. It's the origin of everything that's evil. So when he says, for all that all have sinned, he's not talking about all people have done wrong things. As true as that is. He's talking about everybody sinned when Adam sinned. Because Adam was the head of the human race. You and I were in Adam. Some way, somehow, we can trace back our lineage to Adam. So when Adam sinned, when Adam allowed this origin of spiritual death into the world, the same spiritual death that overtook him overtook you and me that would be born thousands of years later because we were in Adam. Nobody on the planet can get outside of Adam. Everybody, every human being is of Adam. And folks, that's why the virgin birth is so important. That's why the virgin birth was so important. If, if Jesus had been born of a man and a woman, then death would have passed upon him too. Certainly not because of anything wrong that he did. He never did anything wrong. And a baby couldn't do anything wrong at, the, at or before its birth anyway. But God had to bypass the death that passed upon all men. And he did that through the virgin birth. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. <clears throat> and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In other words, when Adam sinned, you sinned because you were in Adam. Now, notice the concept. In Adam means that what he did affected you. In Adam means that whatever wrong took place in his life affected you, bound you, and sentenced you to the same death as himself. That's how strong being in Adam is. Nobody prior to Jesus or apart from Jesus, nobody could have stood up before God and said, wait a minute, I didn't do anything wrong. Because related to the sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden, we didn't do anything wrong. We didn't have anything to do with it. Now, if we had been there instead of Adam and Eve, we would have wound up doing something wrong. But the reality is, the only thing that caused spiritual death to dominate the human race, you and me, is the fact that all mankind is in Adam. And you can't get out. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, all sinned with Adam, in other words, for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. That's just simply saying it affected you, whether you did anything wrong or had anything to do with it or not. Just like we discussed. But not as the offense, so is the free gift. Now he's talking about the free gift, something that was given to us to overcome the spiritual death that passed upon all men because of what Adam did. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if the offense of one, if through the offense of one many be dead, 
Much more the grace of God and the gift my grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded to many. Now, the first thing Paul mentions about this two-man concept, Adam and Jesus, in Adam and in Christ. One of the first things that he introduces about the difference between death that passed upon us because we were in Adam and the eternal life that's available to us through Jesus is that he says that the gift, the free gift, is greater or stronger than the in Adam condition. He's saying in Christ is stronger than in Adam. They work in similar measures, but in Christ is greater than in Adam. Now think about that, folks. Let that sink in. You can't get outside of Adam. We don't have the least bit of power to get out of in Adam. Well, then what does it mean when it says we are in Christ? It means means we're more in Christ than we were in Adam. It means we're more in Christ than we were in Adam. It means just as surely, even more surely, than Adam's individual sin, the original sin, caused spiritual death to pass upon all mankind. Even more, even stronger, is this position or relationship called in Christ. Verse 16, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, talking about in Adam, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. It's saying Jesus did not just pay for the price for the original sin. Because, see, if Jesus just paid the price for Adam's sin, then that means we'd still be liable to pay the price for our own sins and our own wrongdoing. Adam's action covered one sin and allowed death to pass upon all men. Jesus, the work of Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, didn't just pay for Adam's sin, the original sin. It paid for all of your individual sins too. In Adam means you're responsible or a partaker of the consequences of his one wrongdoing. In Christ, you're free from not only Adam's wrongdoing, but from your own. For as by one man's sin, disobedience, many were made sinners. Wait a minute, I skipped some things here. Let's go back. Again, verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if, literally since, through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Verse 17, for if, since... By one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more, they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now, what's the the context here that Paul is talking about reigning in life by Jesus? Why didn't he just tell us we're free? 
Because God intended for us to use that freedom, even from the beginning, to have authority on the earth. You remember Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Folks, you need to understand, no matter where we start, we always get back to Genesis 1, 26. God said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the earth. God's plan, original plan, present day plan, forever plan, is for man to have dominion on the earth. Now, why does he tie that to righteousness? Why does he tie that to the free gift? Because man cannot exercise dominion on the earth in a profitable way while he's spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. It took the conquering of spiritual death to put you and I back in a position where we could exercise authority or have dominion on the earth according to God's original plan and purpose. Therefore, verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. In just a few short chapters, Paul is going to tell them in Romans 8 1 that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation. He builds a case. He talks about his own experience. He talks about the struggle. He understands the struggle between your spirit that wants to do right and wants to serve God and your flesh which pulls you into things that you resent. And it's all tied into this exchange. It's all tied into the work that Jesus did that covers everybody for everything. Just as Adam's one sin, one disobedience, put man in bondage. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men under condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of his life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Again, he's talking about Adam. Because we were in Adam, when Adam fell, we became sinners. Now, why did we become sinners? Because spiritual death passed upon all men. See, folks, the problem with the world is not because they're sinners. The problem with the world is because they're spiritually dead. Now, some people make an art form of sinning. There's no question about that. But it all comes down to the same source. It all has the same origin. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's keep going into Romans chapter 6. There is a, um, well, in, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul wrote to the church and said, Let this mind be in, which, be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, quoted in King James, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humbled himself. And took upon him the form of a man. And having taken on the form of a man, he came to the earth and became obedient even to the death of the cross. Even unto death, which we know is the cross. Now the context that Paul is talking about there 
I think a lot of people miss. In the preceding verses, prior to the verses that I began to quote, it's talking about how Jesus became a servant to man. And it says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. It's talking about have the same attitude towards servanthood. But then it talks about what Jesus did. He humbled himself. King James says he humbled himself. Most other translations says, say he emptied himself. He emptied himself. See, Rome, um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, somewhere around there, is a great scripture to talk about being equal with God. And most of the preaching that I've heard where people are, are trying to make the point that we're equal with God, I don't fault their intent. Because they're talking about and trying to bring us to the point of understanding our place, our position with our Heavenly Father. So that we can exercise authority here on the earth. Do the works of Jesus and so forth. But those verses really don't say that. Those verses say that he did not count it robbery to be equal with God. What that really means from the original language is he didn't hold on to the fact that he was part of the Trinity. When he humbled himself or when he emptied himself out, one translation says he emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory. That would have to be the glory that he had with the Father before the worlds were. That would have to be his eternal glory. We might think of his eternal glory from the beginning, but with God there is no beginning. So we're left with eternal glory. So what these scriptures are saying in Philippians chapter 2 is that Jesus was willing to lay aside his heavenly power and glory and identify as a man. See, the reason the virgin birth is important is because without that, he could not have identified with mankind. Jesus was all God and all man. Now, most people think Jesus operated here on the earth as God in his power that he had because he is literally the son of God. But the Bible says that that's what he emptied himself of to become a man. So when Jesus was operating here on the earth, he was operating as a man. He calls himself the son of man 60 times. He calls himself in the four gospels. And uh, five times he calls himself the son of God. So when it says, let this mind be in you, one of the characteristics of having the mind of Christ is to be identified or to focus on or to meditate on or to recognize that we are identified with Christ just like he focused and recognized that he was identified with man. I say this to you because most of the problems that we have with condemnation is because we don't identify ourselves in Christ. When Paul makes his case about sin, sin in the flesh, and so forth, and then comes to the conclusion in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. That phrase is very specific and it's very important because it's an understanding, and that's what the next chapters are going to be. Chapter 6 and 7 bring you to the place where he makes his case, proves his case, that because we are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Because we are in Christ Jesus, the source, the origin of sin, meaning wrong behavior, the source and the origin of sickness and disease, the source and the origin of poverty and lack, 
have been dealt with once and for all. Job said this. Job said a lot of stupid things. Most things I won't quote Job about. But one thing that Job said was, God knows that I'm dust. He knows that about you too. Now, if God was the way that we imagine him to be, or some people imagine him to be, then that has no bearing whatsoever on the giant fly swatter from heaven that he's waiting to drop on your head. But that's not who God is. Jesus identified with man in his earthly ministry because he operated as a man anointed by the Holy Ghost. Now, God can anoint anybody and everybody he wants to. Right? But Jesus said himself, the works that he did, the miracles and the healings and so forth, the works that he did, he didn't do of himself. That means he couldn't have done them because he was the Son of God. And how would he do them because he was the Son of God if he really did empty himself of his heavenly power and glory? If he emptied himself, that means there's none left. If he emptied himself of his heavenly power and glory in order to come to the earth and operate on this earth as a man, which the Bible says he did, then if he's emptied himself of his power, where's the power for him to do the works? See, folks, God doesn't play games with words. Words are very important. Words are very specific. And so when the Bible says that Jesus emptied himself, that means he didn't come to the earth with any power of his own. As he grew up from a child to a young man to an adult, he didn't develop any power of his own. He still has emptied himself of what he had in heaven. So if he's going to do anything here on this earth to fulfill the work that the Bible prophesied that the Messiah would do, he's going to have to have some power from heaven to do it. And that's why it was so important that John the Baptist baptize him in the Jordan River and everybody that was there bore witness to the fact that the Holy Ghost descended on Jesus in bodily form like a bird would fly from heaven and it landed on him and it stayed there and then he began his miracle ministry not before but only then so when Jesus is operating here on the earth doing miracles Signs and wonders and healings and so forth. Multiplying loaves and fishes, walking on water. All the miracle things that he did. He's doing them as a man who's anointed by God. A man who's empowered by God. The reason he has to be a man is because God gave man authority on the earth. If Jesus doesn't come to the earth as a man, he can't operate legally. To exercise authority and dominion here. It's, I know this sounds almost sacrilegious, but in one sense, it was more important for Jesus to be man than it was for him to be God. So again, in Romans chapter five, Paul talks about the in Adam condition of mankind and the in Christ condition 
in mankind. Chapter 6. I left you in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read through all these because I don't want to uh, lose the context of what he's saying. He can, comes to the place where he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now he's talking about sin as being wrong behavior. And we recognize the source, or you can always recognize the source of sin, or the source of wrong behavior as being original sin. But now he's talking about victory. He's talking about reigning in life by Jesus through the, the new birth and through the gift of righteousness. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Please notice that phrase in verse 2. How shall we then that are dead to sin? Dead to sin. What sin are we dead to? Original sin. We're dead to Adam's original sin that opened the door to sin, sickness, and disease, and spiritual death. We're dead to the one sin that puts us in bondage because we're in Adam. Now, please get how he says this. Paul could say this any way he wanted to, and the Holy Ghost could certainly, we would expect that he would certainly prompt him to say it in the most accurate and clear and concise way. And Paul says by the Holy Ghost that you are dead to sin. Paul says that you are dead to sin. Paul says that you are dead to sin. I'm going to call that original sin spiritual death because it's an all-encompassing term. So you're dead to spiritual death. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Baptism here means to immerse. It means to make fully wet. But it's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about the symbolism of being in Christ. It's talking about the fact that when we ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, receive the gift that he provided through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's talking about that new birth experience bringing us to a place where we are totally and completely in Christ. Baptized into Christ. You're baptized into the family of God. That means you're placed so fully and so completely into the family of God, into Christ, into the results of his death, burial, and resurrection, which brings us eternal life. You're so completely immersed in that that there's not one part of your body or one part of your life that's not in. So don't let water baptism throw you. Water baptism is just a type. It's just a picture of what happens when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now, folks, Paul does not just talk about, start talking about that Jesus is alive and Jesus is risen from the dead and so eternal life is ours. Paul takes us through the steps, the progression, to show us that you were baptized into his death. In other words, because you are now in Christ... Even though you had nothing to do with it. You had nothing to do with this just like you had nothing to do with Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. Had no part of it whatsoever. You weren't even present when it took place. But you were baptized into his death. When Adam sinned, you sinned. And spiritual death reigned. When Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead, you died with him. You were first baptized into his death. 
You died with him. I know what you're thinking. How did we die with him? We weren't even around. In the same way that you died in Adam. In Adam, all of us were in Adam because of biology. We can trace our roots back to the original creation in the Garden of Eden. Everybody can. No matter what skin color we are, no matter what we do for a living, we all were in Adam. In Christ is not forced. In Christ is by choice. But make no mistake about it. When you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you were baptized into his death. That means whatever he suffered related to the death, burial, and resurrection, you experienced too. Now, I didn't say you felt it. I think we try to judge these things and judge these, whether or not these things are true based on our physical and human experience. You weren't there physically, but you were there spiritually. You were first baptized into his death. Who did he die to or what did he die unto? Well, the Bible says that he died unto death, unto sin itself, original sin. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Notice the way Paul asked that. It's clear that Paul is thinking about something that he knows they are not. It, it's clear that Paul is focused and has focused his life on a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that the people don't understand. It's almost like he's saying, how can you not know this? Well, the reason they can't know it is because nobody's taught them, most probably. Or if they have been taught, it hadn't sunk in yet. But notice the way he asked that. Don't you know? Don't you know that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Don't you know that when you accepted Jesus' free gift for yourself, made Jesus your Lord and Savior, don't you know that you were baptized into his death? Don't you know you died with him? Who focuses on that, folks? That's certainly not the message of the modern-day church. The modern-day church focuses on Jesus died for you. Paul's saying Jesus died with you. Or really the other way around, you died with him. And it's almost like Paul is amazed. Don't you know this? So few of us seem to know. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. This is what water baptism is, folks. Water baptism is a sign. It's a picture of what happens when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. At the moment that we accept what Jesus did for us, we enter into his death, his baptism into death. We go into the water just like Jesus went into the heart of the earth. And then we come out of the, uh, the water just like Jesus came back from hell. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, folks, the point that Paul's trying to make, and when you, when you 
boil it down, it seems so simple. But it's such a difficult thing for us to grasp from our hearts and really understand it. I mean, we can stand here and say, how many of you know you died with Jesus and were raised again with him? Everybody's going to raise their hand on that. Or most people will at least. But if there's any way we could ask the question, how many of you really understand that? How many do? Doesn't look to me like it's too many. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if, here's the word if, that really means since. For since we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, the old man that was held in bondage by spiritual death, the old man that resulted by, uh, came from, Adam's sin and disobedience in the Garden of Eden. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. He that is dead is freed from sin. You know what Paul's saying? Paul is saying the key to understanding eternal life is to understand that you're dead. The key to understanding spiritual life is to understand that you're dead. You, not, you didn't just die with Jesus. You're dead. But what are we dead to? Well, the Bible says Jesus is dead unto sin. You're dead to sin. You always will be dead to sin. Now, that may not always mean that you're dead to wrong behavior. But that's not what sin is. That's not what this word sin means. This word sin means the origin of all sinfulness, the origin of all evil. And the Bible says you're dead to that. Now, folks, I've got news for you. God doesn't go back from death to life, life to death, death to life, life to death. When you're in, you're in. When you're out, you're out until you choose to get in. The fact that you are dead with Christ means you are dead from original sin, the origin of all evil, all evil, which the Bible identifies as a lot of different things, not just wrong behavior, but sin, sickness, and disease, poverty, and lack, and so forth. Those are all evil things by God's definition. And you're dead to every one of them. You are dead to every one of them. This means that from heaven's point of view, it's impossible for Satan to touch you or me. And if and when Satan does touch us, all heaven stands scratching their heads saying, why don't they do something about that? Because whatever bondage you and I are held by, sickness or disease, poverty or lack, whatever it is, whatever thing contrary to the nature and the goodness of God that you and I are held bound to, you're dead to. You are dead to sin. You're not going to be dead to sin when Jesus comes back and we get a redeemed body. You are dead to sin now. You're dead to the origin and source of all evil now and always will be. 
For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, here's this word since. Notice how Paul's building this case. If this, then that. If that, then this. If this, then that. Now, if or since we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. That means it's a finished work. Death has no more dominion over him. Now, why does death have no more dominion over him? Because he's dead to death. He's dead to sin, the original sin. He's been made and declared the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, just like you have. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now, the Bible is full of a lot of things that say that God will deliver you, God will heal you, God will do this, that, and the other. But Jesus finished every one of those promises. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Well, if, he, if the work wasn't done, he wouldn't be sitting down. The Bible says, for example, one of the, the scriptures that I like in Nahum chapter 2 and verse 3, I believe it is, it says that he will make another end. Why do you imagine vain things against the Lord or imagine against the Lord? Literally what that means is, why do you think God won't do what he said? He will make an utter end, and affliction shall not rise again the second time. Well, when is he going to make an utter end? When is he going to bring affliction and sickness and disease to an utter end? He already has. We may not have exercised our authority to do it, to, to take hold of it, but he's already done it. Now, folks, this is something that, um, well, it's something you have to think right about if you're going to grow and mature in the things of God. Most people have the idea that God is doling out healing power to those that need it and those that believe and do everything just right. That can't be true. Because if God is doling out healing power for you and me when we need it, then the healing of mankind, which was accomplished by Jesus, is still going on. So why is Jesus sitting down? I think we've got a misunderstanding about ascribing to a lot of things to the devil when it's not the devil's doing. Now, it may have been the, his uh, original sin or his original nature that brought it about. But here's what I mean. You remember when Jesus calmed the storm? Did he cast the devil out of the wind? Did he cast the devil out of the waves? Did he rebuke the devil at all? Well, I don't think any of us would doubt the fact that the devil was behind it in some way or another. But why didn't Jesus talk to him? When he cast the devil out of people, he talked to them. There were certainly cases where there were illnesses and afflictions that were personified by the presence of evil spirits. But that wasn't the only way Jesus operated. The storm was just a matter of the state of this fallen earth. That's why Jesus didn't have to bind the devil. That's why Jesus just simply exercised authority and says, shut up, be quiet, still. Well, if the devil's behind every 
means of inclement or, or disastrous weather, tor- tornadoes, hurricanes, and whatever, earthquakes and such. If the devil's behind all of that, then why didn't Jesus let us know by rebuking him? Now, don't get me wrong. God didn't make the earth to have hurricanes. God didn't, God didn't create the earth to have tornadoes or earthquakes. Those are all part of the curse that came upon the earth because of Adam's sin. But the devil's not in everything. The devil may be behind everything that we experience in life that's contrary to the word of God. I'm not saying that, it, that that's not true. But the devil's not in anything or everything. And there's a lot of things that we give him credit for that he's not doing. Verse 9 again. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. Means it's already done. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So what are we to do with these things? Likewise, reckon ye yourselves also to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Now, he's not talking about right or wrong behavior here. He's talking about the origin of everything that's evil. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Do you know what in Christ really means? In Christ means as Christ. John said it this way. He said, we sh- when he, Jesus shall appear, we shall see him as he is. For as he is in this world, so are we. As he is, so are we. As he is, so are we. Now, folks, we've, we've died the same death that Jesus died. We've experienced the same resurrection that Jesus has experienced. We've been made righteous with Jesus when he was made righteous. We've been seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Bible teaches over and over and over in a multitude of ways that in Christ means as Christ. Now, if we are as Christ because we're in him, then it stands to reason how we would be able to do the same works that he did and even greater works because he went to the Father. If we are as Christ in this world as he is, then it would make perfect sense how we would be able to exercise authority over all the power of the devil. It makes perfect sense how that we would be able to destroy the works of the devil. It makes perfect sense how we would be able to continue in the same exact thing that Jesus did when he was here on the earth with the same exact power at our disposal as he had. All because we're in Christ. All because we're in Christ. 
when Jesus was healing here in the earth, in his earth uh, during the time of his earthly ministry, he was identified with us. But we became identified with him when he went to the cross. He identified with mankind by showing the power of God that came as a result of being anointed with the Holy Ghost. He showed us what a righteous man anointed with the Holy Ghost does. He showed us how a righteous man or a woman anointed with the Holy Ghost can operate here on the earth. That's what the four Gospels were all about. To reveal to us what a righteous man anointed by God can do. But then when he came to the cross, we became identified with him. To what end? To recognize that we are dead to sin. To recognize that sin has no more dominion over us. To recognize that we're freed from the effects of the origin of evil because of Jesus. Paul went so far as to call it the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that's made us free from the law of sin and death. Now, how would our lives change if we focused on that? How would our lives change if we started every morning with the recognition that we are in Christ with all that means as far as being blessed with spiritual blessings? As far as God not having withheld Jesus from us, how will he also withhold any good thing from us? How would that change our lives? Jesus never lost sight of his purpose. He never lost sight of the fact that he was identified with man by his very presence here on the earth. And he never lost sight of the fact that he was our substitute or would be our substitute when he went to the cross. So what does that mean for us? Well, the Bible says you're already dead to sin. The Bible says sin, the origin of every evil thing, has no dominion over you whatsoever. Now, you don't forfeit that dominion over the origin of evil because you mess up and do the wrong thing. Talking about wrong behavior. Wrong behavior does not disqualify you from being in Christ. It can't. If it could, we'd have to get born again, again, and again, and again. And that's not the way it works. Eternal life or everlasting life at the very least, means forever. And it means a whole lot more than that. So just as Jesus dies no more, you don't need to die again either. Just as Jesus doesn't have to pay a second penalty for somebody that messes up and participates in wrong behavior after they get born again, in the same way you're dead to sin too. You're not going to be dead to sin someday. You're not going to be dead to sin when you get a redeemed body. You're dead to sin now. You're dead to the origin of every evil thing. Now the devil wants to tell you because sometimes he influences you to trip up and operate in wrong or sinful behavior. The devil wants you to think that that's the end of everything. When Paul's making the case, saying, don't you know? You are so completely in Christ that sin 
sickness, poverty, unrighteousness in any regard has no bearing on your nature. God sent Jesus to change your nature, not to keep you from telling a lie. God sent Jesus to change your nature, to make an exchange between spiritual death and eternal life. A spiritually dead man on the inside. And to impart eternal life and make that man a new creature. He didn't come to the earth to keep you from stealing. He didn't come to the earth to keep people from having adultery. Or committing adultery. He didn't come to the earth for any wrong or sinful behavior. That's not what he came for. He came to change your nature. And he did He made the exchange. Now, folks, if he made a full exchange, don't take half of it and be satisfied. What I mean by that is, if Jesus came to make you righteous, which he did, and he accomplished his work, then don't settle for just being born again and hoping God will straighten it out when you get to heaven. The full exchange is righteousness. The full exchange is is the knowledge and understanding that we are dead to sin and death. Now the picture is this. How can Satan make a dead body sin? What good is Satan's influence if you recognize that you are dead to sin? The reality is he can't make you do anything you don't want to do. Now he'll try to bring condemnation on you for that. Well, you wanted to do that wrong. Well, yeah, maybe our flesh did. That doesn't change who we are. And the more and more we walk in knowledge of who we are, I like how Paul said it, don't you know? Don't you know that you were buried with baptism? Buried in his baptism of death? Don't you know? He puts it out like to understand this, to come to the realization and the understanding of this simple fact that you're dead to sin because you're in Christ. That fixes everything. And guess what, folks? That fixes everything. Sin has no more dominion over you. Sin has no more dominion over you. So Paul said, let not your members be members of unrighteousness. Don't use your body to do unrighteous things. He said, don't let it. Well, that means the devil can't make you do it. Now, you may be where he was in chapter 7 where you're struggling between your spirit and your flesh. That's okay. We all experience that struggle. That doesn't disqualify you from anything. It didn't disqualify Paul. Didn't disqualify Paul from receiving the revelation of how to overcome it either. Neither it will, will it you. You've been buried with him in his baptism unto death. You've been raised with him. Jesus identified with you when he hung on the cross. He identified with you when he went to the belly of the earth. He identified with you when he went to the lowest part of hell where he paid the price and suffered whatever was necessary. And the Bible doesn't tell us everything that it would be. 
But it was an awesome, awful price that he had to pay for you and me. The Bible says he did it for the joy that was set before him. You know what that joy was? You. He did it knowing that you would be able to be in him. He did it knowing that his death would be your death. He died once so that all the rest of us don't have to. So that when he is raised from the dead and speaks to his disciples, he sees them and says, all hail. Can you imagine how excited Jesus must have been to have finished this thing up? Appears to his disciples and says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. First thing he does is breathe on them and get them born again. Now, we don't think of Jesus having a problem with sin anymore, do we? Is Jesus tempted with evil thoughts sitting at the right hand of the Father? Isn't it unconscionable for us to even consider or imagine that at this point, after the work has been finished and he's seated with the heavenly, at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, wouldn't it be just ridiculous for us to consider Jesus sinning in any way whatsoever? He's not any more dead to sin than you are. The Bible says we were made righteous when he was made righteous. When the price was paid and whatever that was in the heart of the earth. When the price was paid, the Bible says that Jesus was justified and raised from the dead when your righteousness was obtained. He's not staying there long enough for himself to pay the price. He's staying there long enough for the price to be paid for you and me. And at the instant that that price was paid, God said it's done. God who is just and the justifier of mankind said now it's legal. In Christ is a legal term, folks. In Christ is a legal term that means everything Jesus accomplished as our substitute on on the cross. Everything that Jesus accomplished as our substitute in the heart of the earth. Everything Jesus accomplished as our substitute for the resurrection is done. It's finished. He broke the power of spiritual death, the original sin. He broke the origin of all evil once and for all. And Paul says, don't you know that? I think it's time we knew it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for all that was accomplished for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for opening our eyes to who we've been made to be in Christ Jesus. Thank you for opening our eyes more and more to who we are here in this earth. Father, we thank you that your great plan of redemption brought us into a situation, into a position in Christ that's limitless. Thank you that because we've been partakers of the exchange, because we've been reconciled unto you, we thank you that there is nothing in our fellowship with you that we cannot experience. 
We thank you that we can be one with you just like Jesus was one with you. We thank you that you can live in us and speak through us just like you did through Jesus. Father, your word even says that we are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Equal heirs of all that heaven affords. Equal heirs of all of the power of God. Equal heirs in all of his righteousness. Open our eyes, Father. Lord, you see our hearts. You know that we always want to do the right thing from within us. I thank you that you see our weaknesses and don't hold them against us. You know that we're dust. You know that we're made of the earth. You know the sin that would influence our flesh. But oh, Father, you look past that. You see us in Christ. You see us as pure and as holy as Jesus himself. You see us with the same righteousness as he has sitting at your right hand. You see us in him, having never done anything wrong. Pure, holy, and blameless in your sight. Help us to see ourselves that way, Lord. Help us to see past the flesh. To see the truth of who we've been made in Christ. We ask you to do these things, Father, continuously. Day by day. For the rest of our time here on the earth. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. I want to challenge you to from this point forward start every day focusing on the fact that you're in him and will always be. Amen? Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Come on back to healing school tonight if you can. Have a great day.